Hi there, just a quick message to say that the show now has a Patreon page. So if you find what I'm doing valuable, consider supporting the show on Patreon. There are costs associated with running the podcast. Your money will go towards hosting, equipment and software, which will give me the freedom to create a greater quantity and quality of content. I'll provide a link in the show notes, or you can just search for Condensed Matter on Patreon.com. In recognition of your support for the show, you'll get the opportunity to suggest articles and guests for future episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Condensed Matter, condensing recent work in metaphysics and the philosophy of science down to what matters. I'm your host, Sam Kinton-Knight. focus of this episode is Hugh Price's article, Metaphysics After Carnap, The Ghost Who Walks, published in Metametaphysics, edited by David Chalmers, David Manley and Ryan Wasserman, 2009, Oxford University Press. There's a popular story about the recent history of metaphysics, according to which, in the early 20th century, the logical positivists, Carnap in particular, exposed metaphysics as a confused and empty discipline. But, the story continues, metaphysics was rehabilitated by Quine. On the one hand, Quine laid out a clear and respectable approach to the central metaphysical question, what is there? And on the other, Quine's attack on the analytic synthetic distinction fatally wounded the logical positivist movement that had been so critical of metaphysics. Fast forward to the present day, where metaphysics thrives once more, unperturbed by positivist critiques, which are taken to have been well and truly vanquished by Quine's two-fronted assault. In this paper, Hugh Price argues that metaphysics remains as dead, or at least as deflated, as Carnap left it before Quine's influential work. According to Price, Carnap's case against metaphysics remains largely unaffected by Quine's arguments, and current enthusiasm for metaphysics, which claims to take its cue from Quine, actually rests on a misunderstanding. First, let's think about Carnap's deflationism. Central to Carnap's deflationism about metaphysics is the notion of a linguistic framework, roughly rules for the use of linguistic terms and predicates. For example, we have a linguistic framework for talking about numbers and a linguistic framework for talking about medium-sized objects, tables and chairs and the like. These frameworks bring with them certain ontological methods and questions. The methods for maths, for example, are logical and a relevant question may be, is there a largest prime number? But this question is internal to the framework in the sense that its answer depends on the rules of the framework and implies nothing about how the framework independent world really is. Metaphysical questions, according to Carnap, are external in the sense that they try and step outside the confines of any particular framework to talk about the world as it really is. These external metaphysical questions may include, are there material objects and are there numbers? But external metaphysical questions are confused because they apply the language of a linguistic framework inappropriately to speak about issues that are supposedly outside of that very framework. So in truth, external metaphysical questions cannot even coherently be asked insofar as they are intended to be about some framework-independent reality. External questions can, however, be legitimate if understood pragmatically as questions about which framework would be useful for us to adopt. The question are there numbers, for example, 
is thus to be understood as a question about whether or not it will be useful to adopt a certain linguistic framework, one which talks about numbers. Carnap is thus led to pluralism about ontological commitment. Ontological commitment is relative to a linguistic framework, different linguistic framework, different ontological commitment. But this pluralism is not to be read as a metaphysical position in its own right. It's not to say that there really is a plurality of kinds of thing in the world. The pluralism here is really about language and linguistic frameworks. And metaphysical questions that are external to any given linguistic framework only make sense understood as pragmatic questions about which framework to adopt for pragmatic scientific purposes. Let's move on to think about Quine's response to Carnap. Roughly speaking, analytic statements are those that are true in virtue of the meanings of the words involved. For example, all bachelors are unmarried. Synthetic statements, by contrast, are said to be true or false not merely in virtue of the meanings of their words, but also in virtue of how the world is. For example, grass is green. Quine famously argued that the analytic-synthetic distinction cannot be maintained, which forms the basis of his attack on Carnap, because Carnap's notion of a linguistic framework depends on the analytic-synthetic distinction. The upshot, according to Quine, is that even questions internal to a given framework ultimately turn out to be pragmatic, that is, answered on the basis of our making some choice as opposed to being forced upon us by some objective fact of the matter. Indeed, Quine maintains that all judgments are ultimately pragmatic in nature. Now, if we grant Quine this point, the question for our current purposes is, what effects this have on Carnap's anti-metaphysics? Price argues that this crucial aspect of Carnap survives relatively unscathed. In short, Quine's arguments imply that science and mathematics should be understood pragmatically, that is, as having less, if anything, to do with the objective nature of the world as it is independent of us humans, but this is not a gain for metaphysics, since this pragmatism still applies to metaphysics. Nothing here restores a non-pragmatic external perspective for metaphysics. As Price puts it, the traditional metaphysician wants to be able to say, I agree it is useful to say this, but is it true? Carnap rules out this question, and Quine does not rule it back in. Does it at least follow that metaphysics is now on a par with science? Price thinks that caution is necessary here. All we should really take from Quine is that there is no sharp distinction between the kinds of questions investigated by scientists at CERN, for example, and traditional metaphysical questions. Price suggests that practising scientists can go about their business largely unperturbed by Quine's pragmatist arguments, because it's only on rare occasions on which science must confront its pragmatic foundations. Perhaps the suggestion here is that these pragmatic foundations are harder to ignore for the metaphysician. Quine's other critique of Carnap targets the latter's pluralism. Recall that Carnap advocates pluralism about linguistic frameworks and hence about ontological commitment. In essence, the problem is supposed to be one of counting and distinguishing different linguistic frameworks, which is required for Carnap's pluralism. Why not think that there is one grand internal framework from within which all ontological questions may be addressed? If there were such a framework, metaphysical questions such as are there numbers would end up being on par with Carnap's paradigm internal questions, hence his critique of these metaphysical questions would lose its bite. Price defends Carnap in the face of this objection with reference to the broad notion of a category mistake. Very roughly, numbers and tables seem to fall under very different categories, so we should think of the meaning or function of the term existence to be very different as applied to these different categories. Hence, talking about the existence of tables and of numbers as if these issues were on a par, 
rests on a linguistic confusion akin to a category mistake. And this counts against Quine's suggestion of a grand linguistic framework from within which we may ask both about the existence of numbers and of tables. What about Quine's positive approach to ontology? In a nutshell, Quine's respectable approach to ontology is that we are justified in believing in the existence of whatever our best science says exists. In other words, we ought to believe in whatever is indispensable to our best science. So, for example, since we need to speak in terms of mathematical entities when doing science, we should believe in the existence of mathematical entities. But according to Price, this is a misinterpretation of Quine, albeit a very influential misinterpretation taken up by the likes of Hilary Putnam and David Lewis. The problem, according to Price, is that so-called indispensability arguments count only against the rejection of the entities in question, numbers for example. So, if numbers are indispensable to science, we should not claim that numbers do not exist. But this does not constitute a positive argument for the existence of numbers either. So a sort of suspension of judgment rather than a positive belief seems to be what indispensability arguments really license. At the very least, we cannot infer from indispensability to science that the indispensable entities really exist in the traditional metaphysician's sense. Finally, Price discusses David Lewis's infamous modal realism, the view that there exist other possible worlds like ours, but which are spatiotemporally isolated from us, and its supposed Quinean indispensability roots. Lewis, in purportedly Quinean spirit, takes the serviceability of the hypothesis of modal realism to be reason to think that that hypothesis is true. But Price is concerned that there is nothing in Quine to license this inference. At best, and as just discussed, indispensability implies the illegitimacy of any metaphysical stance on the ontological question at issue. We should not reject the hypothesis of a, of a plurality of worlds, but we should not positively endorse it either. We can continue to use the language of modal realism for pragmatic reasons, but this is consistent with Carnapian anti-metaphysics. However, one might object, as Price imagines Lewis doing, that the latter suggestion, that we adopt the language of modal realism but vociferously for pragmatic reasons, is akin to fictionalism in that the declaration of pragmatism has the effect of cancelling what the language asserts, namely the existence of a plurality of worlds. But this cancelling implies a positive metaphysical position in its own right after all, namely that there does not exist a plurality of worlds. In response, Price argues that we can disown or diminish the force of an assertion, for example, the assertion of the existence of a plurality of worlds, without contradicting or implying its falsity. This, he thinks, is what's going on when we talk in terms of possible worlds, but maintain that we do so for pragmatic reasons. Hence the Carnapian interpretation of Lewis need not amount to taking any positive metaphysical stance of its own. Okay, so let's grant with Carnap and the Carnapians that metaphysics is just a matter of deciding, for pragmatic reasons, which linguistic frameworks are best for science. That is to say, questions such as, are there numbers and are there electrons, are not about how the world objectively is in its own right, but are about which linguistic framework we should use when doing science. Is this deflationary? It seems to me that deciding on the best linguistic framework for science is incredibly important. If metaphysics really is a prerequisite for science in this way, then far from being deflated, this seems to legitimise metaphysics by connecting it up with science and the latter's immense practical relevance. Metaphysics may look esoteric and detached from what matters, but from this Carnapian perspective, it seems that we can interpret this activity as, as the hard graft of developing new linguistic frameworks for future science. 
What's more, I see no reason here for the practicing metaphysicians to do anything other than just carry on exactly as they were. They needn't even agree with the Carnapian meta-metaphysics. They may be mistaken in thinking that they are getting at some objective truth, but this does nothing to diminish the importance of what they're actually doing, forging frameworks for future science. This positive spin on the Carnapian critique of metaphysics seems consistent with the idea of metaphysics, or perhaps philosophy more generally, as a frontier subject. It fumbles around at the frontier of human inquiry for new concepts and frameworks, and when successful, these frameworks bud off into established disciplines of their own, such as physics, psychology, economics, or what have you. Far from making no progress, metaphysics blazes a conceptual trail for science, and I see no reason to think that this is compromised by a failure on the part of the metaphysicians themselves to agree that this is in fact the role of their discipline. Of course, there's plenty of bad metaphysics, but there's bad science, art, and whatever else too. I just see little in the Carnapian critique to discredit metaphysics in general. Of course, Carnap and Price might be wrong, and metaphysics might legitimately get at the objective nature of the world as it really is, so see episode 15 for more on this. But either way, I think there's an important role for good metaphysics. Thanks for listening to Condensed Matter. Please rate and review the show on your favourite app so that more people can find it. There's also a link to the show's Patreon page in the episode notes. Your support will help towards the costs associated with hosting and production and will lead to improvements in your future listening experience. Patrons of the show will also get the chance to suggest articles and guests for future episodes. 